Hello everyone, welcome to our afternoon Saturday broadcast. So as usual, we'll start with meditation. And you're welcome to post questions in the chat. And our volunteers will collect the questions and organize them. It's questions that have practical importance or are about meditation. And we'll answer those ones first. If you don't have any questions, or once you've posted your question, then just close your eyes and let's get started. We start by focusing on our experience. Watch the stomach rising and falling when you breathe. When it rises, just say to yourself, rising. When it falls, falling. Rising, falling. The word helps to remind you of the actual experience, keep you again from getting muddled in reactions and judgments and discursive thinking. Helps you to see clearly what's actually happening. You can note that you're sitting, note the posture, the feelings in the body of sitting. Say to yourself, sitting, sitting. If you're standing, you can note standing. If you're walking, you can note walking, walking. The body is a good place to start because it's quite obvious. It's quite constant. And so just be mindful of the movements of the body and the movements in the body. It will help you begin to see clearly, see your experiences clearly for what they are. 
and it'll show you other experiences. It'll show you, it'll allow you to notice pain when it begins, pleasure, calm. Then you can note those as well. If you feel pain, just focus on the pain. Say pain, pain. And if you feel pleasure, say pleasure, or happy, happy. If you feel calm, say calm, calm. And just note it until it's gone, and when it's gone, come back to the stomach and continue watching the stomach rising and falling. If you start thinking, thinking about the past or future, good thoughts, bad thoughts, any kind of thoughts, just try and bring yourself back to the present moment. Keep yourself fo focused on the experience. Say to yourself, thinking, thinking. We're not trying to stop ourselves from thinking. We're just trying to see thinking as thinking, not get lost in it. and not react to it. If you have any emotions or if you notice that your state of mind changes, if you like something or dislike something, if you want something, or if you're angry, bored, frustrated, sad, depressed, just try and note the state of mind, liking or wanting, wanting, disliking, disliking. Frustrated, bored, sad. If you're tired or drowsy or if you're restless or excited, you can note that. Worried. 
if you have doubt or confusion, try and note the state of mind, whatever it might be. And when it's gone, just go back to the stomach and continue watching the body. And finally, if you sense anything in the room around you or in your mind, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, feeling, you can note all of these as well. If you see images or lights or colors, just say seeing, seeing. If you hear a sound in the room, hearing, hearing, or you hear music in the mind or in the, hear something outside, hear something mentally, say hearing, hearing. Smelling, tasting, feeling, note, note the senses when they arise. In brief, just try and remind yourself the nature of what it is that you're experiencing to keep the mind focused on the experience. This allows you to see clearly. It allows you to see how you did, how you misunderstood your experiences misconceived them, how you thought it was going to bring happiness or success to control or seek stability or crave or chase after sensuality. And you start to see that clinging to things and trying to control things, chasing after things is only a cause for stress and suffering. It helps you see what we do to cause stress, cause ourselves stress and suffering. And so simply by seeing clearly your qualities of mind change, your inclination changes, you become less inclined towards those destructive habits. You see the destructive, you see what habits are destructive. You don't have to be told All right, so I think we'll get started on the questions maybe a little early, possible. We'll continue to practice meditation together, but if there are questions, as questions come in, you're welcome to post them. I will just get started. I'm going to have to leave a little early today. Okay, we do have questions. Does this practice also lead to the attainment of jhanas? 
Well, jhana means meditation, uh, specifically can refer to states of meditative attainment, to states of clarity of mind, states of purity of mind, tranquility of mind. In Buddhism, the states that are recognized are those that are free from the five hindrances. So yes, this meditation helps you to gain states where your mind is free from the five hindrances. Absolutely. If you become aware of that craving that was present a few seconds ago, should you note craving or knowing? If it's already gone, you can note knowing. As you're just noting the awareness of it, the knowledge of it. See, the idea is that it prevents you from extrapolating or going further. Rather than finding meaning in the experience, you just remind yourself or you focus on the experience itself without any extrapolation or meaning. It is what it is. Recently, my daily meditation and mindfulness are failing because of my crushing obsession with a movie actor. The images of this movie actor appear in my mind overwhelmingly. What should I do? I don't know if you've read our booklet on how to meditate or if you're practicing the way we practice. Um, but when you see things, you would just note seeing, seeing. If you like what you see, you would say liking, liking. And if you start thinking about what you see, thinking, thinking. If you want something that you see, you'd say wanting, wanting. If you're judging your meditation, if you're frustrated or upset about the meditation, then that's also a disliking of it. So it's important to have the perspective in meditate in mindfulness that uh, the qualities of mind that appear to be getting in our way are not a sign that your meditation is failing. They are the object of the meditation themselves. They're what you have to be mindful of. And so the, the seeing that they are uh, negative, that they are problematic, is all you, all you need. The fact that you're seeing that is a sign that you're, to some extent, being mindful. And the more mindful you become, the more clearer you'll see that. And as a result of that clarity of mind, again, the, the you'll incline away from those destructive mind states, those stressful mind states. Should one use distracted when liking or disliking is prominent, but there is thinking along with the liking or disliking? You need to focus on whatever's prominent. I would recommend liking or disliking if it's there. Distraction is more uh, useful for when you're thinking many different things, when there's lots of thoughts in the mind and the mind is not focused. When there's, if there's disliking or disliking, I, I would recommend noting them instead.
is noting about saying words mentally. Do we actually say things like seeing, thinking, or do we just imply it without saying anything? I don't know what it would mean to imply it. It's a mantra, so you repeat it in your mind. When you see something, you would, in your mind, say to yourself, seeing, seeing, just like any mantra. Except this is a mantra that focuses on reality, so it's not different in its practice, it's different in the focus, the object. The object is your experience. That's all that's different. Should we know that striving is suffering based on the long-term results of it or based on the feeling that arises with the wish? We know that things are suffering because they're un unpredictable, that they're they're un or they're impermanent. They arise and they cease. That's ultimately how we know that things are dukkha, um, not which isn't quite suffering exactly, but that are they're not worth clinging to. They're not happiness. They're not a source for satisfaction. And that's what we're looking to see. Striving isn't always suffering or isn't always bad, let's say. Striving can be you know, very good if you're striving for the right things. It can be essential to the practice. Um, but that you know that things are not worth clinging to is by observing them in the present moment. And as you see more clearly, you'll see that nothing's worth clinging to. I am facing potential jail time or conviction of criminal charges because someone recorded me and lied and said I sent a video to them and threatened them. I cannot stop thinking about it. Help. Well, again, we're not trying to stop thinking. Try and note the thinking. Say thinking, thinking. Uh, if you haven't read our booklet on how to meditate, that might help. I know when you're facing uh, problems like that, it can be very, very hard to be mindful because your mind is very focused on other things like your defense and so on. Uh, I used to teach in a criminal, uh, federal detention center in Los Angeles, and it was very hard to get people interested in meditation because they were all thinking about their upcoming trial. So uh, it, it doesn't mean not to practice, but just be be patient with yourself and don't be discouraged when it's hard and when you're not very easily able to be mindful. I think um, probably people who are in jail already are, are much better suited for practicing meditation um, because they'll have much time on their hands, I would think, apart from all the problems that exist in jails. Uh, but certainly... It doesn't. It doesn't help you any to have your mental health compromised by stress and uh, worry and fear and so on. So try and use mindfulness as a means of dealing with those. Read our booklet and it help you. Why can I not hold to the noting, especially in times when the mind is racing? Is it just that I haven't practiced enough? 
Yes. Yeah, happy uh, mindfulness is like any habit, any skill or any quality of mind that you develop takes a repetition. Um, the mind racing, for example, is a habit as well. Your mind has a habit of racing because it's used to doing that, because it's done it many, many times before. And it's been charged with a emotion usually. It's racing because of liking or disliking or worry or fear or so on. So by changing those emotions, the way you react to things, you can change the direction of the mind. It's just a matter of building new habits. So we're trying to build a, a more wholesome, uh, beneficial, healthy habit of seeing clearly. I practice Vipassana as taught by SN Goinka, but in daily life I'm not able to apply it. I get carried away in the moments. It feels as if I'm attached to my suffering. Well, there's not really a question there. Um, first of all, I don't I don't teach in that tradition, so I don't have that much to comment on. I'm not sure how I could help you. Uh, you might be better to contact someone in that tradition. If you're interested in trying our tradition, you can check out our booklet on how to meditate. You could sign up for an at-home meditation course. Uh, but if you have a specific question, I can try to answer. If we come to a state of clarity, what if that reveals a reality of more suffering, pain, evil, and chaos than if we had remained in a less perceptive state? Well, reality doesn't change whether you perceive it or not. Reality is reality, and we're not talking about external reality. We're talking about your own mental reality. Seeing clearly is a much better mental state than not seeing clearly. It's by not seeing clearly by very definition, by its very intrinsic definition that leads you to do things to your own harm, to your own detriment, to do things that are wrong. We call it clearly because it sees rightly. And if you see rightly, you can't do what is wrong. You can't harm yourself knowingly. We harm ourselves unknowingly. That's the only way it can happen. We, we conduct evil and unwholesomeness unknowingly. There's nothing to do with the reality externally, right? So, so it's like saying, if I were less evil, how do I know I wouldn't be more evil? That's basically the question in, in, the, in, the, in this context, which is, of course, a ludicrous question. If you become less evil, you can't be more evil. If you become less chaotic, you can't be more chaotic. Uh, but as far as suffering and pain, well, on the one hand, it doesn't change the fact that the world around us is not satisfying, but on the other hand, we suffer a lot less from it because we stop reacting to it in ways that cause us stress and suffering, because those ways require a lack of clarity, obviously. If you saw clearly, you wouldn't act and react in ways that caused you stress and suffering. You just couldn't possibly do it. You wouldn't ever be inclined to hurt yourself. When I am deep into Photoshop art, there are no thoughts to the past nor the future. My mind is totally present. 
Is this called mindfulness? What's the difference with the mindfulness in meditation? Well, your mind isn't totally present. Um, it, it's present in the sense that it's with its object, and that's concentration, that's single-pointedness of mind, that's not mindfulness. Mindfulness is a kind of presence that's different from that. Mindfulness is aware, an awareness of the reality of your experience. Reality is experiential. Reality isn't Photoshop, it isn't art, it isn't um, ideas that you might have. Well, it is the ideas, but it's focusing on the ideas rather than acting them out. So when you get an idea and you go with the idea, or when you judge something and you say, well, this would be this would be the right thing to do, or that would be the right thing to do, often based on instinct, then you're just following after the, the experiences rather than, ex than seeing them clearly. So when, when there arises an idea in the mind, being aware of that idea as an object, you, you can never really do Photoshop art at the same time as being mindful because you're, you're too busy focusing on the experiences that, that, that arise to act on them. Uh, mindfulness is what grasps the experience clearly, fully. So it's when the mind is fully focused on the actual experience in front of you. For example, seeing, right? When you're looking at the screen, you're not focused on the seeing, you're focused on the concepts, the colors and contrasts and so on, all the mental um, reactions to the experience. But the actual experience of seeing is what's real. Seeing and then all of the reactions in the mind liking, disliking, thinking, uh, judging, all of those things that are put into use when you do work with, you know, with computers or whatever. Um, but it's all those, those, those things that we put into use that we need to t instead take as objects of meditation. So mindfulness takes those as an object. When you grasp seeing clearly and your mind is just focused on the seeing, uh, when you have a thought in the mind and your mind is just focused clearly and and fully on the thinking, that's mindfulness. Concentration is you can you can be fully concentrated on killing someone. That's nothing to do with mindfulness. Concentration, um, well, concentration is also a positive mind state, but. Uh, it doesn't have the same quality as mindfulness. Concentration can just be a fixedness. It doesn't require wisdom, let's put it that way. Uh, mindfulness gives rise to wisdom. Are there any long-term dangers of legs getting numb and spine getting tired by meditating for long? Well, the spine can, in certain cases, cause problems for people who have injuries. Uh, legs going numb is never a problem. Um, if you, I don't know if you ever had, any, some people have had the experience of falling asleep uh, the wrong way and waking up hours later, your, your, one of your limbs is completely numb. Um, so meditation isn't nearly that bad. Uh, sitting all day might cause problems if you were to do all day, all day sitting meditation. Uh, but that's why we do walking meditation as well, walking and sitting. That's one of the reasons. 
And, but the spine, only in cases where you have a, a spinal injury, otherwise it should strengthen the spine and help to straighten the spine a little bit. It also loosens up a lot of the muscles. There's the tension in the back that can really cause problems to the spine and problems to your your uh, body in general, make you very unhealthy, cause a lot of pain, of course. And all of that works itself out, all of the tension in the back. It'll help with that. Since finishing the at-home course, I am not able to motivate myself to meditate. Any advice? Yeah, the next step is to try to do an intensive course. Uh, the at-home course is just about learning the technique mainly. If you want real results, an intensive course where you come to our center or find a center, find a way to do full all-day practice, uh, that's the best way forward, best way to get a solid foundation in the practice. I've taken your advice to note knowing when I notice myself comparing myself to someone else or unwholesomely judging someone else. Is there anything else to look out for with regards to conceit? Um, conceit is um, based on misperception of things. So when we focus on things with mindfulness, we gain a right perspective and perception of things. And so conceit doesn't arise. Don't focus on things like conceit. Don't go looking for them or trying to fix them or something. Just try and see what your experiences are clearly, right? Don't don't, don't be obsessed with things like conceit or even the, the hindrances or so on. Even just focusing on the stomach. This is the sort of thing that helps you free you from the hindrances. You don't have to go and eradicate things like conceit or any of the hindrances. Just by focusing, saying rising, falling, you're going to see more clearly and so the hindrances don't arise. Of course, if they do arise, you can note them, but then just note the state of mind. Well, if you're judging someone unwholesomely, that can be a liking or disliking. Try and note that. How can I be mindful in teaching, driving, doing house chores, and talking to people? Well, for some things it's a lot easier, like uh, driving, doing house chores. That's pretty easy to be mindful, just to put your mind to it. If you remember and you think, okay, now I'm going to do this house chore, I'm going to try to do it mindfully. Uh, or driving, you can do mindfully. Though you have to be careful with driving to meditate while you're driving, because it can give you... Uh, so much concentration that you nod off. So just try and be wary of that. I recommend people do chanting when they drive. It keep, helps keep you awake if you have strong concentration. Uh, for talking to people or teaching uh, or, or listening to a teaching, it's a little more difficult and you sometimes just put it aside because you're focused in other ways. But you can still be mindful. You can be mindful of the sound of your own voice. You can be mindful of the movements of your lips, the tension. You can also just be mindful of the fact that you're sitting. You, you can also speak and, and uh, be mindful of the body at the same time. You can be mindful of 
the emotions in your mind or the thoughts in your mind that are leading you to speak. You can be mindful even as you're speaking. What's the Buddhist relation to thoughts in general? Are there thoughts that are true? Or are thoughts never true, since they are only concepts? Is reality the experience of having a thought? Thoughts are thoughts. Thoughts are not true or false, they're just thoughts. It's thinking, thinking. Um, I mean, conventionally a thought is true when the meaning behind a thought will be true. If a th or can be true, if a thought says something about the world, it can be right or wrong. If you think to yourself, uh, I have a soul, I have a self, my self lives forever. Or if you think to yourself, Buddhism is, is wrong, the Buddha taught something wrong, bad. Well, those are statements that, those are thoughts that are wrong. Uh, so thoughts can be wrong like that. Uh, it's a wrong thought. Thoughts can also be unwholesome, of course, which makes them wrong in a different way. Uh, there's angry thoughts or greedy thoughts or abusive thoughts or conceited thoughts or that sort of thing. Real reality is the experience of having a thought, of, of thinking. It's the reality of the experience of thought. I came back to this method after a time, but now thoughts are difficult to note. My physical actions are easy, but thought feels far away. Perhaps I should restart an at-home course? Well, thoughts are always going to be harder to note, uh, especially when you're not doing intensive practice. Um, but when you do notice that you're thinking, even after the fact, you can still note thinking. It's just a means of preventing reaction, keeping the mind... Uh, focused on the reality rather than your judgments and so on. But don't worry about that too much. As long as you can focus on the body, that's a great object. Just focusing, focusing on the stomach is a really good way to become enlightened because it shows you impermanent suffering non-self. Um, if you've done the at-home course already, we don't do it a second time. The at-home course is just to learn the technique. What I'd recommend is to do an intensive course, find a way to actually do a, a, a real live uh, two-week course on on the practice. I mean, then you'll really find a greater depth of practice. I've started doing more meditation at home three times for two hours each time. Is it normal that the perception of time to change? Yesterday feels like three days ago. I don't know how to put into words why this is it normal question is, is so problematic. Um, I guess the real problem is that It kind of avoids the fact that you should be mindful of uh, such perceptions. I mean, this is such a very common question that people ask, is it normal X? 
Uh, and, and that's not really our focus. That's the wrong way of looking at your experiencing, asking yourself whether this is normal or not normal. Uh, I guess a big problem with it is it it, it issues a, um, a lack of understanding of impermanence because impermanence admits of no normal. And so our desire are to find reassurance of normal is this clinging to stability. Right? We want to know that we're not abnormal or there's not something wrong because we're afraid of, of the potential things that could go wrong, right? Uh, and yet you have to, to some extent, let go of that. Uh, you have to be able to, instead of trying to judge or get a quality assessment of an experience, you have to look at the experience just for what it is. And so the, the, the right way to look at an experience when you feel um, a perception of, of slowness of time is to note the perception. If you feel like that, you say feeling. If you're thinking or wondering about it or worried about it, you can note all that. And if it's just an awareness that, boy, time is going very slow, you can note thinking or knowing or something like that. That's how you should approach experiences rather than trying to get a sense of what experiences are normal because our experiences are not going to um, to determine the quality of the practice, only our reactions to them. And this is a, a problem that you have, a um, misunderstanding that has to be corrected for meditators is the idea that your experiences are going to tell you how you're, progress, how you're progressing. That's not the case. Uh, your experiences are going to change and clinging to any experience like this is the way or this experience is a good sign or it's a bad sign is really problematic. You should look at your reactions. Hey, when that arose, I didn't react like I did before. I didn't get angry like I did before. There's a sign of progress. Hey, I used to really cling to this and now I'm not clinging to it. Hey, there's a sign of progress. Those are the signs of progress, not the experiences. So your experience, uh, in this example, that time uh, perception of time changing um, is neither good nor bad, is neither here nor there, is a cause caused by something, some specific quality of mind that's been developed, but it's uh, neither here nor there, it's an experience and it's something that should be noted. Again, your experiences are not going to determine the quality of your practice. How did you react when that experience arose? That's what's going to determine it. And so rather than asking yourself whether it's normal, try to just look at the experience and see it arise and cease. Sitting meditation and listening to Dharma talks, I have to put on long sleeve clothing. Sometimes passing gas happens and I feel guilty or even sinful. How to handle this appropriately? I'm not quite sure I understand the connection in this in this uh, question. You put on long sleeve clothing out of respect. Is that is that what that is? Like, um, why do you put on long sleeve clothing so you so you can feel? Uh, well, I mean, it's not necessarily wrong. I mean, that that that's if that's what you're referring to. Anyway, 
neither here nor there, but but yes, that's nice to be respectful, I guess. Um, but you know, passing gas is 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 not unwholesome. It's not sinful to pass gas. Why would that be sinful? Um, actions are never sinful. It's the quality of my mind behind them. So, in fact, the feeling guilty or afraid and so on—that's actually the unwholesome part. When you're afraid or worried or disliking or sad or so on, that's the problem because those things are mental. If you dislike the smell of the uh, methane or so on, that's also unwholesome. So I don't know if you've read our booklet on how to meditate, but that's where I would start. Read the booklet if you're interested. You could do our at-home course. If you've done all that, you could find a way to come and do an intensive course. That might help. Our uh, our center here in Canada, just someone told me that it's closed. We've got a listing for our center on Google, and uh, it says it's been closed permanently. So I don't know how that happened, but we are open. Can overindulgence and getting bored by our addictions lead us to permanent motivation to meditate? I mean, motivation is never permanent. Motivation is a quality of mind. So there's lots of lots of qualities that can support motivation: confidence, wisdom, uh, mindfulness, association with good people. Goodness, if you do lots of good things, if you try to be a good person, you'll be more inclined to meditate. Overindulgence probably doesn't really help. I mean, I wouldn't suggest engaging in overindulgence thinking that that's going to help you, but um, I guess in the long term, eventually you 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 gain some perspective that, well, that didn't make me happy. So that's useful, I guess. But uh, lack of motivation should be an object of mindfulness because it's not lack of motivation. It's an aversion or it's a, a craving. It's, a, it's an attachment, a liking of the, the lazy state and that sort of thing, liking of pleasure. It's all of that that's getting in the way. It's not a lack of motivation per se. Can we theoretically get to enlightenment by only using your booklet and not consulting a teacher? I mean, you can theoretically get enlightened without a teacher at all, without a booklet or a teacher or anything, theoretically. But, um, but that's, on, that's, that's not taking into account who you are. 
because only a certain person in a certain situation would be at all capable of doing that. And that's a very, 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 very special, rare person. Probably all of all such people have already become enlightened. Uh, and anyone else is not there yet. And so you have to rely on your qualities of mind uh, much more than, than, well, not much more, that's not fair. Um, you, you have to rely on qualities of mind, let's say, as much as or or as well as the instruction that you get. So getting instruction is very good for helping put to use the good qualities of mind that you have. If you have lots of good qualities already, then you need very little instruction. Uh, most of us don't have lots and lots of very good qualities, so we need much more instruction. But the average person... The average person uh, today, I would say, won't get enough out of the booklet and will need some intensive practice. That's just from observation. I'm not trying to somehow uh, con people into coming and doing courses when the book would do just as well. It just, it just isn't uh, nearly as valuable, nearly as powerful. And I think that's objective. That's speaking objectively that uh, there's no bias there. It's just observation that the booklet is not going to help very many people. Uh, that not that much. It's not going to have that much of an impact on on many people. For most, they're going to need a lot more. If one is meditating and noting various thoughts and feelings rising and falling, and some instances or a few seconds of nothing in between, is those in-between states increasing a sign of progress? No. Again, as I said, the only sign of progress is the change in your reactions to things, a greater clarity about the nature of things. It's not the experiences, it's the reactions to them. It's how the mind, it's the quality of the mind. So it's actually somewhat problematic to fixate on a certain experience, like a very focused experience or a very quiet experience, and think that somehow that's a good sign because then you start to cling to it, you start to uh, depend upon it and, and uh, force it and try to make it stay, try to make it come, and do whatever you can to encourage that state. And so so that's a very unwholesome mind state, that's obsessing, that clinging. And where you, where, well, while you think that you're doing something very good to progress, you're actually doing the opposite, because you're perverting your state of mind, you're stressing about it, you're creating an increased sense of control and self and so on. So absolutely, 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 your experiences are not a sign of progress. I mean, they, they can be a byproduct of progress, but they're byproducts of so many different things. And anytime you take them as, as a good thing, you're going to get caught up in them. You're going to get distracted by them. If I am reborn as a human, how will I find the teachings of the Buddha if I am in a society that doesn't believe or know it? Mm -hmm. It can be uh, can be quite hard. It's quite possible that many, many people 
I mean, think about when the Buddha rose. There's many, many people at that time who never learned, never heard of the Buddha at all while he was alive. So there's good reason to try and associate yourself with Buddhism and Buddhist society and the Buddha, do all sorts of Buddhist cultural things. There's good reason for behind Buddhist culture because it associates your mind and your whole life with Buddhism. That's a good thing. Makes it much more likely that you'll be reborn in a place, in a in a situation where you are able to come in contact with the Buddhist teaching. How can we meditate to overcome anxiety, disappointment, and ruminating on a problem like insult and anger? Well, the very simple answer is, uh, have you read our booklet? <laughs> if you have, uh, you might be interested in doing an at-home course. It sounds like you probably haven't because it's very, the booklet sort of goes over that sort of thing exactly. I mean, the meditation that we teach is designed for the sort of problem that you're uh, referencing here. So consider doing our at-home course or coming to do a course here with us. There's links to the booklet and our website. and the, You can go to sirimangalo.org and find out about that. It's all free. We're not. This isn't an advertising thing. This is just uh, it's a part of our practice to share. When noting rising, falling, followed by sitting, I find myself wanting to note sitting, sitting, in time with the breath. Is this mixing objects, or can it be beneficial? Wanting isn't beneficial, so if you want, you should say wanting, wanting. Or whatever the actual word, the actual experience is. It might not be wanting, even though you use the word wanting. It might be a worry about it, or a stress about it, or something like that. But if it is wanting, then you would not wanting. Um, because, yes, sitting is a completely different object from rising. It has no reference to rising and falling. So I try not to, um, try not to reference the sitting just because of how the rising and falling works. Once you've said sitting, then go back to the stomach. And if it's not rising, just wait for the next rising. Is there a distinction between how samatha feels, e.g. there is nothing but a white disc, and how our awareness of whatever arises in vipassana feels? I think I'm being overly scrupulous in my practice. I mean, there is a general, going to be a general difference because it's a different quality. Um, but that's not technically the difference between samatha and vipassana. Samatha and vipassana can take the same the same experience can be approached as a samatha uh, using samatha meditation it can be approached using vipassana meditation we were talking about that this morning in our study group so samatha if you see a white disc samatha would be to say white white right and vipassana would be to say seeing seeing and it's a subtle difference but white is um, it's a concept it's the the entity 
It's the thing that you're experiencing, the white disc. Seeing is the experience which arises and ceases. When you say seeing, seeing, you're not cultivating the seeing. You're not using seeing as a tool to see the white. Um, to get to the white, you're just taking seeing as the object, and you'll see that the seeing comes and goes, and then the mind goes somewhere else, and so on. You'll be able to see impermanent suffering and non-self. You can also note the qualities of the samatha meditation, like if you feel calm, you'd say calm, calm, and then suddenly it's vipassana. So the feeling of it is not actually indicative of being in either one or the other. Again, it's not the experiences, it's your qualities of mind relating to them. Can we eat meat if we are getting malnourished and underweight on vegan diet? And how to prevent constipation after eating meat? So eating meat is nothing to do with what I teach. You're, you're welcome to eat meat, and it's not an unwholesome thing. Um, but as far as prevent, preventing constipation, that's absolutely not something I teach. So that sort of question is not appropriate here. If you want to know such the answers to such questions, you should find someone who teaches such things. Um, but I guess what I can say is that trying to prevent things can often be associated with qualities of mind that are unwholesome, like aversion to it, disliking of it, stress about it. And so uh, in terms of meditation, you should note those feelings, note the qualities of mind. Or note the experience of being constipated. Is being our own light by growing on our experience is better than listening to any preacher? Well, see, the thing is, the ability to grow on your experience often depends on having someone teach you how to do that. Uh, even the idea of growing on your experience is uh, something that you often have to be told is a good thing, but the thought that it's a good thing is only a part of the answer. The practice and the instruction and the guidance uh, in terms of how to do that is very important. Even people who know the right technique in meditation very, very often, mostly, uh, need guidance as they're doing it, support as they're doing it. So being a teacher isn't just about preaching, it isn't just about teaching, it's about guiding, reminding, uh, keeping on track. The most common distraction in practice I note is planning either for work or house chores. I return to rising and falling as soon as I notice it. Any tips on how to deal with habitual, persistent planning? So we don't deal with things per se, like you're not, you're, there's nothing more that needs to be done. Uh, the idea of how can I fix this is a problematic uh, mind state. Uh, it arises out of the realization that you're kind of not in control, and you think, well, if I'm not in control, how can I fix this? I, I just 
don't know how to fix this. But that's wrong. The idea that you should try to fix it is just wrong conclusion. And you're asking me, you know, generally people will ask this uh, because they've sort of come to this initial realization that you actually can't. That's not the way it works, even though you think it should be. And you think, well, then how? And the answer is you can't, really. Uh, rather than trying to deal with uh, such things, the seeing of them clearly will weaken them, will weaken your inclination to engage in the habit, and the cultivation of new habits of mindfulness is going to supplant them. Does the concept of impermanence rely upon the concept of permanence? Impermanence is a quality of, of reality. It doesn't rely on anything. It relies on reality. Uh, when you watch reality, you see that things are arising and ceasing. It eradicates the concept of uh, the perception of, imper of permanence. It doesn't rely on any concept. If a person hates me, is that my bad karma in the past causing him to hate me in this life? Or could it be that he has just created a bad karma to me now? How do I know this? It's very hard to know karma. Um, hard to know. Usually, I would say, usually there's a longer story than we're generally aware of. When people hate us, there's often a lot more. And so we often use karma as a means of placating ourselves, reminding ourselves, look, I don't really know what what the real past story is here. No, I could have done something terrible to them, so I won't be too concerned with it. But you don't have to rely on karma to do that. You just have to rely on wisdom and mindfulness to see that the best way to act is usually, well, it's always not to get upset. It's usually to just be patient. So you don't need to to know your past karma. Karma is much more useful to understand the the implications of our acts to help us realize on a grand scale what we're doing to ourselves on a momentary level. How our bad habits are going to have consequences. Helps us to realize the sort of perverseness of them. Hey, Bhante, that's the end of the questions we're prepared to ask today. Okay, thank you everyone for your questions. Thank you, Chris and Jim and Rahid for your support. Have a good week, everyone. Sadhu. Sadhu.